Hello everybody, this is Dr. Fred. I am responsible, I am accountable, I am capable of assisting people to find their true voice and then deliver it effectively into the world around us. With 40 years in mental health, 32 of them as a psychiatrist, and then a massive amount of conversations, including podcasting and expert speaking, keynote speaking, I have the opportunity to really see the magic that it takes to find one's authentic self and then deliver it effectively into the world. And if you're like me, you can see that now more than ever, that's what's called for. So today is that day. Now is that time. Come forth. Join me in the broadcast. You'll see on the other side of this at True Voice with Dr. Fred. So as they say, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are when you're listening or watching this. This is Dr. Fred, and yes, this is True Voice with Dr. Fred, the podcast. And uh, it's exciting to be with you today. I have uh, opportunity to kind of share where I am in my world and then share it with you in such a way that hopefully it can make a difference for what you're up to in your world. I'm going to give you the call-in phone number here momentarily and invite you that if you become a fan or if this is just your first or second time listening, it's all good. And if there's something I'm saying that you would like to have a conversation with me and essentially become either in some ways my podcast guest, at least temporarily, then I'm going to ask you to call the call-in number and see if we can have an on-time conversation. So the on-time conversation would take place if you want to call in to 1-888-627-6008. It's 1-888-627-6008. And I'm Dr. Fred. And, you know, let me get started with getting a topic on the table first. And then if there's something that you'd like to share with me or share with me about past events or you need some clarification or would like to learn more, I'd be glad to assist you in that direction or to perhaps offer another direction or another possibility could be that we could just shoot it together and kind of see what we come up with as a pair of humans exploring a particular topic. That would be my honor as well. So for those of you where this is my first time, uh, your first time listening to me, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and how I got to be a podcaster and what what you're watching or listening to at this point. My name is Fred Moss, and I am a a doctor, so that's how I get away with Dr. Fred, and I'm actually a medical doctor, so I'm not not bringing that from any other of the many multiple doctor degrees that are out there. That doesn't make me more competent or more interesting than someone who's a PhD or a naturopathic doctor or whatever kind of doctor people become, uh, shaman, et cetera. Not more interesting, but I'm just kind of giving you data, which is that I went to medical school. I went to medical school at at a prestigious medical school in Chicago, Illinois, Northwestern University. I went there between 1984 and and 1988. And then I've been, you know, as soon as you graduate and then you, um, you know, you you, uh, apply for a license, then you get a license, then you're a doctor, you know. In fact, I'm a doctor as soon as I graduate medical school, even without a license. So uh, it's been about 34 years. It's been about 34 years that I've been a doctor and about 30, I would say about 32 or 31 of those where I've been a psychiatrist because actually you have to go through an internship and a residency 
And I did a psychiatric residency down in uh, Cincinnati. So I found my wife in 1989, which was the year after I graduated. And we moved to Cincinnati after years of internship. And uh, I began my practice in, in uh, 1989, second year resident. Then I completed the next four years, which included completing a general psychiatry residency and then um, getting a fellowship, a two-year fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry. Okay, so that may think that may be something that you think you know me, like all of a sudden now I've told you who I was, but frankly, that's not anything like who I really am. That's just a degree that I earned along the way. And then I've been riding the coattails in some ways, or in fact, been imprisoned by what it means to be a psychiatrist uh, in many other ways. Um, there's a there's a phenomena that takes place when you're at the top of a heap, you know, let's say like the, you know, the highest rung in the totem pole might be psychiatry with respect to anyways to Western mental health system. You know, there are multiple disciplines of everything from physician's assistants and nurse practitioners to social workers, to licensed, you know, to counselors, to ministers, and there's all sorts of uh, uh, affiliated um, social work, like I think I already said, social workers or uh, psychologists, or there's clinical psychologists, and then there's uh, PhD, and then there's um, PsyD, and and there's all, all still all sorts of nurses and all sorts of multiple features or multiple disciplines that are inside the world of mental health. And throughout this whole time, I've been a psychiatrist. So what has that really done for me? Well, the one thing that it's done for me is it's had me meet some of the, if you would say so, some of the most uh, what we'll call extreme or interesting human beings that the world has to offer. Because in order to get a psychiatric referral in these last four decades, generally what had to happen is you had to be seen by someone who wasn't a psychiatrist who then felt like they either failed or weren't enough uh, to give you to where you needed to be. And then the referral would come on through to psychiatry and we would somehow perform some magic that we were supposed to have picked up in medical school or somewhere. I, I'm not sure. And the magic in most cases has it be that, that the world tends to think that we are the masters of medications, uh, the masters of psychotropic medications, and that we know more about those and know how to prescribe them and know the doses and know what to use with this particular condition or what not to use with this particular other drug or other condition that might be going on or what to listen for in order to diagnose properly in order to make a decision of which class of medicine and then which particular medicine and which particular dosage and the frequency, et cetera, that somehow we have the corner of the market. We being psychiatrists have the corner in the market of that, like almost final effort. So that's what a psychiatrist is. And I had been in childcare work for the years before that. So we go back to long before medical school. We start looking at around 1980. And that was after the second time that I had dropped out of college, actually. And I had gone in as a mental health worker. I, uh, you know, when I dropped out of college a second time, I was like, I'm not going back to school. It's not a place where I can learn about communication or open discourse which as far as I'm concerned is the only thing that mattered in this lifetime. And I really wanted to learn how to communicate and how to be effective and how to make a difference with communication, because I really thought that that, and still think that that's the essence of what it takes to heal the human, uh, the human, what mm, the human being or the human, uh, the human condition, the healing of the human condition can only occur 
in confluence with being with other people, but not only that resonating or harmonizing or connecting with another person, like inside of that connection is the prerequisite for all of healing. And I learned that even before I went to kindergarten, you know, I learned that, that watching my family speak to each other, my two older brothers, even my younger sister, two years, my, my junior, as well as my parents, the idea was that communication, one form or another, you know, not just vocalities, but it could be through uh, the unspoken word, through gestures and, um, uh, you know, you, you know the, the, the different kinds of expressions, music or art or dancing or those kinds of things that people actually got things done. And it seemed to me like that got rooted for me even before I started elementary school. And in the world of kindergarten or in the world of the early years, I learned that the school wasn't going to be the place where I learned how to effectively communicate. In fact, I was told more often than not to sit still, look at the teacher, watch the board, don't move around, don't talk, don't interrupt. And just regurgitate whatever that teacher said. And the closer I could get to actually regurgitating what they said without asking questions, the better student I was considered. And I was allowed to move up to the next level. So I excelled at actually getting that done and being a pain for my teachers. And on one hand, there's, you know, I, I, I was able to go far enough to get to the end of the rope. You know, one could say that one of the ends of the rope is graduating medical school at a prestigious university, which I did. So I must have done enough things so-called right to get that done. It was not an easy path. It included two college dropouts. And it included me sort of, you know, being a pain in the ass on the way through school. Um, all the while, really just being committed to, to, this, to this notion that communication is all that really mattered. And having that reconfirmed year after year after year, whether I was in school or out of school, whether I was working there or working here, there was always this notion that being connected to another person is where the magic lies. So if we go forward, we see that, you know, um, once I started, once I got dropped out of medical school and I got a job at a state hospital, that's when I began to really communicate openly and honestly with my so-called patients or residents or clients or colleagues or whatever you call these kids that were six or eight years younger than me that I was taking care of. The idea was that, you know, in this communication, I could respect these human beings for who they were and how they got to be where they were. And and actually in our discourse, I worked the afternoon shift in our conversations, open conversation often led to healing and not just healing in one direction. It wasn't like I had healing and I'll give it to you. It was like in the connection of me. Um, so, you know, kind of like an um, unlikely connection that got created uh, between me and my clients or me and my patients. There was healing that took place for both of us. And in some cases for others who might be listening. I got really excited about that, but I really didn't like the way psychiatry was treating the kids because psychiatry had already become a field that was to be used in an emergency in a setting like that. Meaning that if Jimmy was up too late or Johnny and Timmy had gotten into a fight in the afternoon, we would call the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist would come down and then, you know, interview Timmy for three or four seconds and interview us for seven or 10 seconds and then actually go into the nursing station with his pen and then write an order in the, in the nursing station. And then the nurse would tell us what he had written or what we had to do. We'd have to go then get Jimmy, drag him into the quiet room, hold him down against his will while he was spitting, kicking, biting and screaming 
And then maybe pull down his sweatpants a little bit so that we could expose his hip so that the nurse could hold his leg down and then jam his hip full of an injectable um, adult dose antipsychotic medication cocktail whose sole purpose was just kind of make him stuporous and not have to say, not get to say anything for the next several hours, maybe even half a day or a day. And if he went a whole half a day or day without speaking, we would then be able to chart something like this was a successful intervention. This seems so barbaric and heinous and really inhumane that I couldn't really, couldn't really endorse it. So instead of endorsing it, I decided that the best thing that I could do was actually go back to medical school. In other words, go through school, finish my degree, and then go to medical school and bring communication and connection to the central world of mental health, because I knew that's where it belonged. And that's really what I made my business to do over the next 13 years as I completed my undergraduate degree and then completed medical school residency and fellowship. So how does it get to be that I'm the undoctor? How does it get to be that I have a podcast? How does it get to be that I have this particular bent or attitude? Well, as a psychiatrist, you know, I unfortunately, because of the oh so exciting introduction of Prozac in 1987 to the world, um, psychiatrists then became even more and more typecast into being uh, um, psychopharmacologists. So before too long, I found myself as a diagnostician and a psychopharmacologist, an expert in the exact thing that I was went into the field to never have to do. I now became a world expert in the world of psychopharmacology, and I really wasn't aligned at all with having to give medications to anyone, let alone kids and let alone even regular adults or geriatrics. And yet alone, what was being asked of me was to do exactly that and in order to stay as a psychiatrist, that was the minimum. Like right now, if I was to open up my doors and ask for a psychiatric job that didn't prescribe medicine, there are no jobs. <laughs> ah. I mean, does it mean there's zero? I, there might be a handful. I, I've never seen one, not recently. People that are looking for a, specifically for a psychiatrist want somebody who knows how to medicate and is willing to do so. So the field has gone through that level of paradigmatic shift, and I don't have it that medications are evil, but I do have it that they're far from the best, far from the best intervention to help somebody gain their, uh, gain their own self, gain optimization of their life, gain access to an empowered lifestyle. Medicines are not the route to that. Medicines, um, even if chosen carefully by proper clinicians, uh, do not serve that purpose. Uh, now, now, for those of you who are out there who have a diagnosis and you have a, uh, a clinician that you work with and you have your treatment plan that's in place and you're very pleased with it and life is going extremely well for you. You couldn't ask for better, wouldn't want any better. This is as good as it gets. So you're, you're happy with your diagnosis, et cetera. Then this conversation is not for you actually. And it, it's okay. You can listen, but please don't, you know, please don't think that it needs to, that you need, that I'm saying you need to change your path because you don't. If you've gone through life, even any part of life, and you found something that works in any angle whatsoever, you should by all means continue doing that. There should not have anybody powerful or compelling or persuasive be able to shift you from that. So if I'm coming across powerful or even wrong, you know, and compelling or persuasive, and you're thinking you should change your ways, you shouldn't if what you're doing is working. 
Who I am really speaking to, however, is the hundreds of millions of people who don't meet that criteria, who are really unhappy with their diagnosis, who are pretty sure that the diagnosis they have might be incorrect or that they don't really want to be diagnosed. They don't think there's anything wrong with them at all. And they think that the medicines aren't helping or in some cases are actually hurting or even in very rare but possible cases actually causing the same symptoms they're marketed to treat. These are people that are worth paying attention to. And, and these people in my world could use some assistance in really getting that mental illness. Well, it is a construct. And because it's a construct, it's not etched in stone. And even if you think you have a condition, it doesn't mean that you have that condition. And frankly, it's culturally based. It's a, it's a, new, um, it's a new diagnostic set of criteria. Uh, for the most part, it's not, you know, bipolar disorder isn't the same as managed depression, isn't the same as schizoaffective, isn't the same as schizophrenia, and never will be. And those distinctions are at very best uh, rather arbitrary as the clinician makes them, even if there is some distinction inside of the um, diagnostic statistical manual. Um, we, we still, we still uh, use our guts more than anything. We see uh, so many patients per hour and we make the diagnosis and then make the treatments that we think are associated with that diagnosis because that's what we were told. This venture that I just described is kind of a fruitless venture for me. I didn't appreciate it when I was learning it. I got really good at it, but I kind of was living uh, duplicitously and pretentiously, uh, not living inside of my own authenticity. So in 2006, I began to do something which some people call fairly radical. And that was, I began to really just take people off their medicine. If they were doing okay, a hand chosen group of people who uh, were generally low risk. And I took them off their medicine if they were doing okay. And, and, and then, you know, actually took them off their diagnosis because I could. And reliably, these people got way better. You know, they got way, way better, actually. And in most cases, their diagnosis, the thing that they thought that uh, the thing that they thought they had that was in a way that was making them worse, uh, or that was, you know, being described as their primary condition, um, is, uh, uh, you know, really, really isn't, it really isn't that. So there was an opportunity to really get that, you know, the fact that they, um, the fact that they, uh, that people believe that they have a diagnosis is kind of part of the issue. So the idea that, that I could take people off medicine and off their diagnosis and have them get that they are sort of kind of almost okay as they are, even when they're not okay. So that having the very sheer experience of not being okay or being terrified or being uh, very uncomfortable or almost intolerably uncomfortable, unembraceably uncomfortable is part of this thing called being a human. Big news, right? Like there's nothing wrong with you for having traveled there. There's nothing wrong with you, by the way, in being depressed in a depressed world, depressing world, or being anxious in, a, in, a, in an anxiety provoking world, or actually being confused in a confusing world, or having trouble completing tasks in a world where uh, there's multiple distractions. Or in even hearing voices, which we often call intuition or the, you know, our, our, uh, our inner mind or our thoughts, those kinds of things all are part of being human. So part of what I've been doing is since 2006 
is really stepping back slowly and surely and really getting to the space where each and every person can know that their voice can be heard and that who they are and what they do matters. Meaning that who they are, no matter how they got to be who they are, is worth listening to. Now, again, is this a flat out endorsement for every person in the world being good? I, I, I don't think so. I get that there's some pretty bad people out there. I've met many of them. I'm not saying they're not bad or that they're not making bad decisions that are hurting other humans. That's not what I'm endorsing. What I am endorsing is that there's nothing actually inherently wrong, perhaps. And that's really happening is in the world of, again, it's a little tricky to say this, and I'm not saying it across the board, but it's kind of important. It's in the world of each of us wanting to be heard for what it is we have to say, and each of us wanting to be loved for who we are, and each of us wanting to make statements. I, I, there's easy answers here. What about the guy, you know, the school shooters? What about the pedophile rapist or yeah i get it and uh this isn't again it's not the general population that i'm speaking to who they are is you know totally and, and thoroughly antisocial and you know bad people evil people responding to the world that they are the way that they are makes them uh classified as being evil and then we have the audacity if you will or the uh, hubris or arrogance to call them wrong or bad and then lock them up and move them out of society. And that may or may not be the best move. I've been inside of prisons. I've been inside of mental health institutes. And it doesn't look like either of those facilities do very much to actually assist those people in, in getting the improvement they need. Um, it does remove them from the general society, but puts them in a society with more people Otherwise, where they can cause the same exact problems in a society we care a little bit less about in the mental health institutes <clears throat> or in the jails and prisons or other locked unit institutes. So, all right, we move forward. And in 2016, I designed and developed a, a, a brand called Welcome to Humanity. And Welcome to Humanity really does look at what I just spoke to. This idea that welcome to humanity really means that each and every human experience is exquisite in its own right, including the ones that are highly and deeply uncomfortable. Now, this isn't very controversial in its own right. Again, you have had some very uncomfortable times in your life, if not today or recently. And I'm saying that it's okay that you have had those and there's nothing wrong with you. <clears throat> and if there's nothing wrong with you, you actually don't need to get a diagnosis. And if there's no diagnosis, then you wouldn't need to uh, treat them. Um, and you can see now that the people who are willing to start at that playing field, who are really willing to listen and be heard, who are willing to share and resonate and connect with another human, can get capacity to being found, understood, listened to like resonated with, connected to. And with that, well, that's where the magical healing often begins. So I've become a healer instead of a doctor. And I get to ask you, where in your life are you still like a doctor, still doing what's asked of you or what you should do or what the system wants you to do without making questions or without fighting back and without doing that which you know is right? Almost everyone I ask has a significant part of their life where they're living like that, a duplicitous part, if you will, a pretentious part, an inauthentic part, a misaligned part. And it is precisely this new space 
that I've developed a methodology to bring those things out forward. I'm going to tell you about that methodology after this next commercial, what it is that I've put together that is in tune with making a difference, or if not making a difference, at least getting your voice out into the world. What is it that I've put together in these, you know, after these years and after these uh, conversations and connections and efforts and challenges and and really, um, you know, learning and what about my passion? What about my views of what about why did we go into mental health in the first place? I'm going to tell you after the commercial what I put together and invite you to join me. But until then, let's play that commercial. Uh, you'll get what my real name is or in some ways what my what my we'll say affectionate nickname is. And I think the commercial points to that. So go ahead with that, please. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Fred again. I wanted to explain to you a little bit about one of the names I have called the Undoctor. What is the Undoctor? Well, after about 15 years in the field of me being misaligned with what I was doing, because I was medicating people even knowing that medications were not the right answer, and I was diagnosing people even though I didn't always believe that they had the diagnosis that I said that they had, even though they did meet the criteria, etc. I like seeing humans for exactly who they are and who they're not, and not as a diagnosis. So in 2006, I began the process of becoming the undoctor. I unmedicated, undiagnosed, and then undoctrinated a bunch of people. Like people no longer had to come to a psychiatrist because their conditions cleared. This isn't true for everyone, it may not be true for you, but for some folks who know that their diagnosis doesn't fit and who know that they don't wanna keep going through with medications and don't wanna be seen as someone who's defective or afflicted, this turned out to be a great intervention. Over time, I stopped doing that and I no longer do a whole lot of conventional psychiatry. Now I just help people walk through their life and find their true voice. I connect with people straight up, not as if there's a power gradient between a doctor and a patient, but it's two humans connecting and resonating with each other. As it turns out, that's where all healing emanates from. So today, I've developed the Welcome to Humanity brand over the last six or seven years, and that really takes into consideration all of this. It is self-explanatory. Basically, each and every experience that we have with humanity is just as exquisite as another, even if it's deeply uncomfortable. From there, we get to actually share these human experiences. From there, we get to resonate and connect, and from there, healing takes place. I also have been helping people with their true voice, and that's why you're here today at True Voice with Dr. Fred. I help people find that true voice, really their authentic self, their core value system, and then deliver it effectively into a world that is eagerly awaiting to hear you. Without your voice, no one will ever hear you. And without your true voice, no one will ever know you. But with your true voice, you can find healing, peace, and love. True voice is what it takes to end all wars. So welcome to True Voice with Dr. Fred. Yes, welcome. Welcome back. So yes, I became the undoctor. And and really, uh, we'll get started at that half of the second half of the show of how, how, what happened there. Like, 
I didn't become the undoctor in 2006. I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't pick up that name anyways, but that's when I really did start to undiagnose then unmedicate. And then over time, undoctrinate people, people to no longer need a psychiatrist. And in many cases, no longer need a mental health clinician again. Some people did not respond that way. You know, some people, they got way better. Almost everyone um, got way better. And then getting better was a trauma to the system because they were the identified patient in their family or their system. And when they got better and started speaking their truth, there was no space for it. It was like, you know, filling a tire uh, with air when you had been used to it being flat. And then all of a sudden, the car doesn't drive the same. And when you pull on it the same way it took to drive when there was a flat tire, you just drive it into a ditch. And so the system didn't want to adjust to an unhealthy person, unhealthy because they were taking medication, to a healthy person who was now here asking questions about what it is that they missed or what they now had to say about what's been going on. And so muting them again, much like we did at Fairlawn Center, became the more uh, interesting phenomena. Like, so instead of the doctors writing the orders, the family would come and say, we want Johnny back on medicine. Yes, that's tragic. It happened more than a few times. I didn't see Johnny as being sicker in many cases. And in most cases, I thought Johnny is actually being more well. But because the family was not used to Johnny being well and was used to him being stuporous or or essentially ineffective, the call would often be to return medications to the system. And being the diligent doctor that I am, you know, customer service oriented as I was, uh, that's what I would have to do. And that's what I did. I don't do that anymore. See, the undoctor doesn't do that. The undoctor undiagnoses, unmedicates, and then undoctrinates. And I don't give people their diagnosis anymore. Still, people have diagnoses, and they could be happy about them. Again, we've already spoken to that a couple of times. If that's what's true for you, please keep your diagnosis and your treatment. And especially if it's effective, by all means, keep doing that. But again, for the hundreds of millions of people where that isn't the case, and we've estimated recently that you know, all you would need is about 12% of the population of the world uh, to have had some degree of contact with mental illness uh, in order for there to have been a billion people to have had that over time. I think that number is probably fairly accurate now that Western medicine has spread itself around the entire planet. And it's not every country that uses it, but many countries. And so maybe a billion, certainly greater than a half billion of people who have had mental health issues. And when you look at the possibility that that Western medicine doesn't make things better, it doesn't even pretend to make things better. Its best hope is to contain a condition that is now inherent in you. So it gives you a responsibility for having a condition that would worsen drastically if it wasn't interrupted. And then it gives us the myth that because we're interrupting it with medication, we're actually slowing down its drastic nature. There's so many things that can be said about this. For instance, when you stop the medication, you might get a spike of the symptoms that the drug was marketed to treat by design. And when that happens, you could think that it's your own self showing up when in fact, it's really just a a function of the medication itself uh, discontinuing. So not even a rebound or or withdrawal, but actually a, a direct function of the medicine, meaning that's exactly what it does is it causes the symptoms it's marketed to treat upon discontinuation, which then has you think that your condition is back. And then probably forever on medication again, because you think, okay, it's bad being on this medicine, but when I stopped, it got worse. And so therefore I think I should keep going. It's a tragic, uh, um, you know, uh, decision of, of two evils, choice between two evils. So, uh, or two undesirables, let's put it that way.
there's nothing inherently evil about any of this, by the way. It's not the medical, it's not the, it's not the drug company, it's not the doctors, not the insurance company, it's not psychiatry in general. Because there is a space that we, you know, that's still fairly sovereign that allows us to make a difference in this particular paradigm that we often overlook. <clears throat> the system has it that you are to do what your doctor says, right? And so when your doctor says, take a certain medicine, if you're a good patient or even a good American or if you're a good person, then you probably just do what your doctor said. And when people say, why'd you do that? You can always say, because that's what my doctor told me to do. You don't use any other, you don't use any other profession in that same way. Uh, where you just casually do what your doctor says, even if you're not sure it's right. It's just it's very rare, very rare. Maybe an attorney every so often, or maybe a minister or a clergy sometimes. But doctor is a big deal. You know, you, your doctor tells you to do something and you agree to do it, then, you know, you're going to keep doing it until he tells you to stop. Now, what's real interesting about psychiatry is that no psychiatrist has ever been trained effectively on how to stop your diagnosis or how to stop your medication. It's okay because most people don't really want to stop after they've started. Once you've made that turn where you've decided that you're willing to put some medications in your body to have yourself feel better and then get a surge of actually feeling better. So oftentimes there's a short-term relief followed by a worsening of the symptoms that has you then only be able to choose that same medication to repeat back because you remember the short-term relief. So once you get over all of that, then, you know, and once you've made the decision that there is something wrong with you, it's hard to unring that bell. Who I am now is working with people who are on the edges, meaning people who are done being discouraged and disillusioned with the system, who are already sure there's nothing wrong with them and just want to find the exit door where they can come back out and actually look at life from a non-conventional psychiatric standpoint. Non-conventional psychiatry, again, there's nothing wrong with conventional psychiatry per se. There are just multiple ways to get mental health oriented in such a way that you get to be who you need to be, that you get an optimized and creative life, that you get a life that's worth living. So by connecting with other people and then applying creativity in the form of, uh, there's a book that I wrote called The Creative Eight, you know, a healing through creativity and self-expression. And in that book, we talk about eight different ways to be creative that tend to diminish or often disappear the, the symptoms that we call psychiatric illness. They come from art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, and gardening. Those are the eight. And there's been some others that have been added over time. Uh, you can pick up that book and it's at welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative. Or if you want the audio book, you get it at welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative eight. And from there is where we really start, really start uh, making a difference in, in, in giving you a life that even if at times it is in, uh, very miserable or very painful or nearly intolerable or unspeakable, you have an opportunity to get that you're sharing that with other people. And from there, resonating with even one other person gives you a whole new access to what it means to be alive. And in fact, even the possibility of joyousness in the face of maximum discomfort. It's even possible. They're not mutually exclusive events, despite what we've been told. I'm not looking forward to my next highly uncomfortable moment. I hate being uncomfortable like anyone does. And I'm not sure that while it's going on, I can tell you that I'm in joy, but I can tell you when it ends that I feel like I'm glad I got the experience. There's something like getting the whole taste of the entire smorgasbord that allows me to see that humanity and this human experience is, is extraordinary and uh, uh, really does offer an opportunity to go to 
multiple multiple different corners of our own experience, our own psyche, our own subjective experience of what, whether something's good or bad or pleasant or or unpleasant or lovable or hateful or hateable or whatever. So that's the true voice aspect. Now the true voice aspect is I really am assisting people in digging into finding their true voice. And that's the name of my book is find your true voice. That's the book I will send to anyone who's listening here. Find your true voice book.com. We'll get you a copy of that book. And I'd love to hear from you afterwards if you take out that book, meaning like how did the deep dive into finding your true voice make a difference for you? Were you able to actually access new parts of yourself that um, maybe have been under lock and key for a number of years? Do you have zip lip syndrome? You know, where you're in a room and you really wish that you could say something and you know what you have something to say, but do you remember the days when they told you to zip it and throw away the key and you let the key stay over there? Or maybe you have heavy tongue syndrome. Heavy tongue means that even though you have access to speak your actual truth, you become afraid at the last moment and actually say something that's different than who you really are. Or choose not to even lift up your tongue at all and not say anything, even though the floor was open for you to bring up your true self. See, find your true voice actually takes care of heavy tongue syndrome and zip lip syndrome. And this is what we really do. We put together a group of like-minded individuals who understand that authenticity is more important than content. Meaning we're not so set up on agreeing with what it is you have to say. That's not that important. And we're not here to start vehement adversarial arguments about that either. The content is in some ways overlooked by the authenticity, the genuine nature, the true self that you're being when you're speaking to another. When you're speaking to another using vocality or when you're speaking to another using any of the other creative or performing arts to be self-expressed. So when you're using any of the other creative or performing arts to be self-expressed, this is when the opportunity comes to really step in to being a true voice, like to really step into what is it and where are you right here and right now that you can express through any of those forms of communication that I've listed before. Now, ultimately, there is a trump card. If you really want to be effective in the world, one thing you can do that will, you know, leave you with most of your, or if not all of your symptoms gone and fully self-expressed as a, as a loving and giving and respecting and affirming human being would be to help anybody do anything. You know, some people call it service, but we'll call it help anybody do anything. So what is it about help anybody do anything? Well, when we're helping another person do something, the rewards are so astronomical. Often the universe throws in an assist and the rewards become even more and uh, profound and, and broadened than what we thought we were going to get by helping another person. And so, you know, you can see the eyes light up when we start being of service, when we start helping others do anything. Now, the other thing that can be really important here is checking in on our own fears. So we have fear, right? All of us are afraid. And, and in these days, it's easy to get to be way more than afraid. Like, you know, flat out, like paralyzed, terrified. So there's nothing wrong with you just because you feel that way. Even though it feels really bad and wrong and out of place, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. So if fear, you know, lowers itself on you or you have some fear, there's nothing wrong with you. That's called being human. 
what can we do about this fear? Well, we start looking at the biggest thing that we're afraid of. And I think it's clear to say that the thing we're afraid of more than anything usually has something to do with death or the pain right before death or in any kind of fear of pain on the way to death. So what do we do with that? Well, there is an opportunity to really get in touch with eternity or divinity or infinity or the smallness of your life, or in fact, the bigness of your life, why you're here, what you could do if in fact you brought forth your true message, what would really happen if you could be you and you can make that kind of statement while you were here. For me, this is what I'm circulating around. This is where I'm focused. This is where I really help people and I help people rapidly. You see, you may have already, if you've been listening to this episode, had some of your previous thoughts and ideas shaken, maybe to the core, maybe from the roots. So that's good if that's happened, because I want you to think twice about who you thought you were, who you're getting away with pretending to be. And I don't mean that in any kind of accusation or any kind of diminishment or any kind of insult at all. You see, we all are less than we know ourselves to be. We know that this life is way bigger than what we pretended to be. You know, it's not our job. It's not what city we live in. It's not where we went to school. None of those things are really who you are. There's a who there of you that is uh, struggling to figure out who you are. And in fact, that person maybe will never be totally satisfied with learning who you are. But one thing you can know for sure is that there are other people who are aligned with you with not knowing who they are and being very accessible to assisting you to making discoveries about who you really are. And again, rapid restorative healing. So what is rapid restorative healing? Again, it's pretty self-explanatory. And what we're talking about is giving you access to your true self and then giving you an avenue to speak that true self or to be that true self among other people so that you can make the impact you came here to make. How does that sound? I mean, to me, I don't have it that there's anything in this world that's that much more important than that. We have lots of issues going on in the world. You know, I can list a few and each and every person in a civilized world will resonate that these have been recent issues brought to our attention. It can be everything from the COVID virus to, um, to climate change or racism or sex trafficking. It can be everything from, you know, war, Supreme Court decisions, um, you know, controversial international issues. Yeah, those things are all big, really, really big and planetary threats, <clears throat> not just to humanity, but all of the planet. And I'm saying there's something that's even bigger than that. It's a greater threat than that. See, the greatest threat in the world is not what you think it is. It's none of those things. The greatest threat in the world is that we, at some level, have made a decision, a collective decision frequently, to stop speaking our true self in a way of protecting ourselves. And it is this result, it is this decision, this mm, resolve to no longer speak our true self because we're afraid of what could happen in canceling or censoring or mitigating and muting, stifling, that has us not speaking anymore. And, and we're, it's, we're on the brink. Like it's possible that we won't be able to, if we don't speak now, it's possible that speaking will become something of the past. And that we'll be looking at a bleak and grim future together.
a future where free speech is no longer even valued. And that's the decision we're making when we're choosing to pretend to be somebody else in order to protect who we are, or in saying things that are not aligned with ourselves, or in not speaking when we know we should. Big price to pay. I can't do it alone. What I'm even doing today is, you know, it feels pretty tricky. It feels like, yeah, I'm getting away with it for now, and, and it's important, and I like being a leader in these areas, and you can join us as well. So we have a true voice community that we have put together and that true voice community is like-minded individuals who are equally committed to bringing forth their authentic self inside of their true voice using whatever expressive techniques they can. And in many cases, we've really focused on podcasting being an amazing, you know, an amazing venue, an amazing platform to deliver that message into the open ears, willing and interested, eagerly awaiting. It's not the only way to get our message across. So this course that I have created called the True Voice course is really geared towards assisting other folks to make a difference. Meaning we're really here to show you where your true voice is. We interject much of the creative eight. We interject much of these uh, uh, theories and ideas into finding your true voice, that authenticity is more important than content. And then we give you a community, a platform, um, a group of partners, uh, people who are able to give feedback or people who are able to both listen and speak. I don't think I mentioned that the key ingredient in speaking in true voice is a surprise as well. And that is it's in the form of listening, listening authentically, listening radically, listening for what is seeking to emerge. That's what we do. I don't know a higher calling. And so I don't have it that it's for everyone, but <clears throat> the way the course is being marketed or the tagline of the course is that it's for podcasters and other people who are having important conversations. Now, if you're not a podcaster and you're not having important conversations, there's, you know, this course is not really that important to you and you don't need to take it at all. But if you're in either of those spaces and you want to bring that true self forward or at least discover your true self or help others with your true self or even get practice sharing that true self with others, the True Voice course is exquisite. And I just completed the, the 54 question prompts that come with that course, as well as 18 lessons and then six modules and 18 videos and, and exercises galore, as well as with a workbook and different perks, which include uh, live twice a month visits with me. And with uh, exclusive membership inside of the community, we really take on like, what's here to be had, what's here to be had inside of seeking and then becoming that true voice and delivering it effectively into the world around us. All right. So it looks like we didn't get anyone to call in. And that's fine. I hope that some of you listened and got what you needed to get from this conversation. I know I did. I, uh, I, I, I get better and better at explaining how I got to be where I got to be. And even though I wonder, like, you know, what, what value is it that I have become me? Um, I get some sort of version that what I'm up to or what I'm speaking might hit at home with some number of people. I mean, I've been told that, that this is an important topic and that it's changing the lives of others to bring home the idea that you have a few choices. You don't have to speak your true self. You can keep playing you or you can, you know, keep pretending to be someone you're not in order to protect the person you are, but that is a ludicrous and probably, you know, preposterous way of managing yourself, but, you know, to each his own. And you can really get your authenticity is really called for. Being you is what the world is looking for. If you never speak your true voice, no one will ever know you. 
And you can really get that this group is completely committed to helping you not only find that true voice, but to deliver effectively into the world. With all that said, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for allowing me to tell you how I got to be. And maybe, just maybe, there's a part of this that is going to land for you like it's worthwhile and interesting. So if you go to findyourtruevoicebook.com, that's where you'll get this book. Or if you go to uh, welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative, you can get a copy of my other book. Or if you really want to be in this course, that's something that we probably need to or can talk about it. Don't quite have the link set up. It's actually being shifted a little bit today. And uh, the best way to do that is to call me or to email me at drfred at welcometohumanity.net. That's drfred at welcometohumanity.net. And you want to talk about the course, just write True Voice Podcasting in the, or, or I'm sorry, the True Voice course in the uh, subject line. And I'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to have a discovery call before that, uh, this is a, uh, a call that really looks at where, how can I be of assistance to you or your team? I love giving keynote speeches. I love giving, you know, signature speeches and really talking to the essence of what True Voice is. So if you have a small group that you think could benefit from this message, a group who maybe has become burned out or, you know, just mm, complacent, then maybe I can be really helpful. And I would be glad to do that. It would be an honor to do that if you have groups that you'd like me to speak for or workshops you'd like me to run. In the meantime, I'm going to tell you that Sam Morris, who's been my co-host a number of times, uh, will be on periodically and probably more often than not. He wasn't here today. He's on vacation. And uh, I did speak with him uh, and he gave us uh, the, the best of, you know, and a blessed, a blessed opportunity to have a good meeting, which I think we've had up until now. With all that said, I think we're reaching a point where I'm going to bid you farewell. But I'll tell you what, if there's part of this that is resonating with you, I, not only do I say, please reach out. It's not about me. It's about the urgency of finding like-minded people who are interested in doing this together. And if you feel like this has affected you in a positive way, then please, I want to know, how can you help us? How can you join in? How can you bring your people in, the people who also need some assistance in finding and the delivering of that true voice? Thank you again for being at the True Voice podcast with Dr. Fred. It's been a pleasure as it is every Tuesday. The honor is mine, and I look forward to any contact questions, clarifications, uh, any type of feedback whatsoever about this talk. It's really been a pleasure and always is, and I also look forward to being with you next Tuesday. In the meantime, arrivederci, shalom, goodbye, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye for now. It's been an honor. Take care. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to thank you for getting through another episode of True Voice with Dr. Fred. Wasn't that great? It is so much fun to interact with people and then interact with my listenership about really finding True Voice and then bringing it forward. I really have never done anything more important than this, and I'm finally aligned with myself by helping others find their True Voice. Let's find your alignment. What do you really want in your life? 